Okay, we are in Second Peter. We're in Lesson 11. Last week we we looked at the fact that God has given you everything you need through the person of the Holy Spirit to live your life today. And with that, you are to add to your life maturity, spiritual maturity. And, and he, he sums it up at the end of last week's passage, which is, I think, verses uh, nine, eight, 9 and eight, nine, and 10, that if you don't pursue maturity in your life, you're short-sighted, you're blind, you're spiritually blind. But if you are pursuing it, God's going to give you a reward. It's going to be an abundant reward later on. So here, let me just make this point, because the reality is, is in your Christian walk, you need to be progressing in your maturity. Bottom line. You need to be moving forward in your maturity. If you are not moving forward, you are moving backwards. I want you to understand something. We're used to, you know, like we think in terms of plateaus. Do you understand? We think in terms of plateaus that, you know, if I just, uh, you know, I can cruise. We're used to cruise control. How many of you like cruise control? I, I like cruise control. Especially these days with, you know, in some states their fines are huge. And you don't want to get caught, you know. And I guess it's because I'm getting older. You know, you just realize you've got to slow it down. So you put the cruise control on. Because my foot doesn't have cruise control. It has lead. So I just let the, I let, I let the cruise control drive. All right? Now, we think in terms of cruise control, and I could just set it in autopilot on my spiritual life and everything will be okay. No, you can't. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. And there is no autopilot, and it's work. And for you to think that there is an autopilot, Peter would say, let me just read you what he would say, but he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You have forgotten the very nature of who you are. You have forgotten the very nature of who you are. So here, what we're going to do now is, God just doesn't leave you hanging to say, okay, how am I going to do this? I'm supposed to be maturing. He's given me the Holy Spirit to help me with that, with promises and with provision and even participation of becoming like Him. How am I supposed to do it? Well, the instrument is the Word of God. The instrument of spiritual maturity is the Word of God. Now, Let's be honest. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm, I'm going to make a couple of statements here, and I want you to see if you agree with me. How many of you would say, I'm a person of the Bible? I'll ask you that one. How many of you would say, I, I believe in the Bible? Hey, everybody would. Even if you didn't, you would raise your hand, because you would say, I'd be an odd man out if I didn't. I believe in the Bible. Now, here's the problem. Belief up here is different than belief right here. I can cognitively think in terms of, I believe the Bible, but never read it. Or only read it when I go through a crisis. Have you ever noticed when you go through a crisis, you'll pick it up, but you don't know where to read? Have you noticed people like that? It's like, you know you need to get into Word, but where do I start? What passages will bring me comfort? And you don't even know. So you just kind of peruse around and you end up in Leviticus, and that'll depress you. Do you know what I mean? That'll depress you to go to Leviticus because it's just a law. All right? Now, here, here's my point. I want you to listen to me. We recognize the importance of the Bible, but the problem is, is we don't use the Bible. We don't apply the Bible. 
We don't read the Bible. Now what I want you to see is, is Peter's going to make a point here that the Bible is the most important thing you have for your life. It is the most important thing that God has given us. His Word, His revealed Word to you and I for your life. So for instance, I was just thinking about this this morning. I went for a walk along the bike trail and I was thinking about how, how do I come in here and communicate the importance of the Word of God to you. So, what if somebody told you, because a lot of the homes around here are old. Like I know my house is 150 years old. What if somebody told you that in the walls of your house, somewhere in one of the walls of your house, is a metal case filled with gold coins. What would you do? <laughs> he said he'd tear the house down. Huh? What's that? You would you would do whatever you could to find it, right? Because you want that what? Money. Because the money in your mind is what you think will help you do what? Yeah, get whatever you want. Live, live comfortably. Handle the bills. You won't have any problems or anything. But uh, here's the sad fact. There is no metal container in the wall of your house, so don't go home and tear it up. But there's something far more precious, far more priceless, and you're holding it. See, we think money will bring us the peace. We think affluence will bring us the peace. We think stuff will bring us the peace to deal with the stuff that we have in our life. But have you noticed that even if you have money, or even if you have stuff, it doesn't satisfy? Have you noticed that? Reminds me of a story. An old English lord, he had his manor there, and there were some servants there. And one of the old servants said to the other, one maid said to the other maid, if I only had a hundred pounds, I will be as content as ever, and I will never lack anything, and I will be at peace. Well, the old Lord just happened to walk by, and he was amused by that. And he, so he said, here, here's the hundred pounds. And they walked away. The old maid looked at the other maid and said, I should have asked for two. <laughs> Did it bring her peace? No. But my friends, peace is found right there in that book you're holding. Because that book you're holding reveals God. This is the point he's trying to make. We've got to become men and women of the Word of God. We've got to become men and women of the Word of God. And I'm going to explain something to you. We, we do advocate the daily bread, and I think there's some on the back table. Maybe or not. Maybe they've all been... Every time we have them, they're gone. But I'm going to be honest with you. You've got to move beyond the daily bread. You can become enslaved to the daily bread where all you read is the daily bread. And you can even get to the place where all you read in the daily bread is the story, but you don't read the scripture passage. That is not going to change your life. That is not going to bring you peace. Peace is found in his words. you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so let's go through this lesson. First of all, I want you to notice with me verses 12 through 15. He's going to talk about the need for reminders. For this reason... 
I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Okay, first of all, I want you to notice this purpose. He's going to show his determination here. And what he's going to show us is Peter was determined to continually remind them of the truth of God's word. Let me explain something to you about Christianity. Christianity is not where you are continually evolving in thought and something new is always going to be popping up and being shown. So whenever you hear somebody say, well, I found something new, there's a new teaching in the Bible that hasn't been revealed before. You've got to be scared of that because there is no new teaching. Now, you might find something new for yourself that you never saw before, but usually that is, 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 is right there with what all the other teaching is. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's right there with all what all the other teaching is. God will may reveal something to you that you didn't really perceive before, but when you think about it, yeah, that's all part of Christianity. But if you come up and say something new, so for instance, there'll be guys out there who'll say, we need to eat like the Old Testament. And so you need to eat nothing but vegetables, and better yet, just eat carrots. Hey, that's out there. You've got to look at that and say, well, you know, I know my Bible, and in the Noetic Covenant, he said we could eat meat. He said it was okay for us to eat meat now. What's this deal that you're saying that we're only supposed to eat vegetables? You know, so you would know your word to be able to know that that's just, that's a new teaching. I need to stay away from it. I would, I need to stay away from that. So, he wants to remind them. So here's the thing. You have to be continually reinforced over and over what you believe. Now, why do you and I have to be continually reinforced over and over what we believe? What do, what do we tend to do? We tend to slide is what uh, Bruce said. But what else do we tend to do? I have to be continually reminded because I have a tendency to what? I heard it, but they're shy. Forget! You have to be continually reminded because you're going to forget. You're going to forget what it is that you're being taught. And here's the dangerous thing. See, I am renewed. Remember in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How I renew my mind is by reinforcing God's Word in it. And as it's as God's Word takes root in my mind... My life then is transformed from the inside out. A lot of Christianity today is, is, how many of you have been in a church like this where they tell you how to dress, what not to do, where you can't go, where you can go, what you can listen to, what you can't listen to. How many of you have been in a church like that before? I have. And here's the problem. That all deals with what? The exterior. It doesn't deal with the interior. See, Paul's saying it's got to come from the inside out. Now, how do I change from the inside out is by his word. And so you've got to repeat it in your mind is what Peter is saying here. And so, 
I want you to notice something here. Now, he's going to continually remind them, and here's the other thing. He did this in spite of the fact that they were already established in the truth. See, you can get to the place... How many of you have been saved five years? I know. If you've been saved more than five years, don't raise your hand. When I get to your... How long in a minute? So how many of you have only been saved five years? Ten. How about 15? All right. How many of you have only been saved 20 years? All right. How many of you have only been saved 25 years? 35 years. 40. 50. Uh, Is there anybody here 55? 60. Louis, how long have you been saved? Praise the Lord. 65 years, more than 60. That's great. Praise the Lord. Okay, now here's the thing. Now, Louise, we'll pick on Louise today. Louise could, after 65 years, have sitting under an awful lot of teaching. So she's heard an awful lot of preaching. She's read her Bible numerous times in those 65 years. She She's read books. She's... Okay, she could get to the place after 65 years and say, hmm, I think I know it all. I, I know you have it, Louise. Okay, because you forget. All right, see, she's illustrating the point I'm making. Here's the point. He's saying, in spite of the fact that you were already established, you need to be reminded. You've got to continually have it a part of your life. So, for instance, let me explain something to you. Sports is a good way to... to um, Help you to understand something. You know, uh, they're in spring training. They're getting ready to, actually, not spring training. They're getting ready to have the uh, preseason here in football, aren't they, Bruce? How many more weeks away is that? Four weeks away, spring, spring, uh, summer, you know, the summer season is going to start, preseason. So they're already practicing. You notice that those guys, when they come out on the field, they've already been practicing the whole week before. Training camp starts in four weeks, but they're still keeping up because I mean, it's, and I've, because I've, I've, you and I have re- read re- articles and reports and heard reports of guys who didn't do anything in the offseason came back and they were so out of shape that they just let them go because they didn't keep up with themselves. And, and, because you just don't get up and decide you're going to play football like that. Or you just don't get up and say, I'm going to be a boxer, I'm going to box, or I'm going to be a runner, I'm going to run. You've got to continually exercise yourself. Does everybody understand me? So when you see those guys, when you see the Steelers come out there or the Eagles come out there and they do their thing, they have had to repeat. And notice something, when they practice, they're repeating stuff over and over and over. So when you see them do those wonderful plays, when McNabb throws that bomb or Roethlisberger throws that bomb or whatever, they have already thrown that bomb hundreds of times in practice. Why would they have to repeat it over and over and over again? Anybody? Why do they have to repeat that over and over and over again? It's skill. It ain't luck. It's skill. Here's the thing. Peter is saying the very same thing over in the spiritual realm. You've got to be continually reminded, continually have truth reinforced, 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 reinforced. So when that crucial moment comes, you can throw the bomb. You can score the touchdown. You can have the victory. Even though you know it. 
You understand? Even though you know it. And so that's, that's the whole point. So we have to have repetition. You've got to have repetition. You've got to have repetition. All right, now here's the duration. Here's, 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 Peter's going to tell you how long he's going to do this. How long is he going to repeat this? As long as he's alive, he will remind them of these truths. Listen, this, is, this really passage right here, those two verses, are for you as a parent, as long as you're alive, you need to reinforce with your children the truths of the Scripture. Period. I don't care if they're old enough. They may even be, you know, you may be 50 and they're 30. You keep reminding them. You keep reminding them. Because why? They need to be reminded. Because you've got to continue to move forward. Because remember what I said, if you're not moving forward, you're what? Moving backwards. So, that's his present mindset. Now, here's the other part. I'll just, just a side note there. Look with me at verse 13. He says, as long as I am in this what? Tent. Some of you have the old King James, which says tabernacle. I want you to notice how he's describing his life. Here's a good point. This is a good side note. He's describing his body as a what? As a tent. And then he says when he's ready to leave this tent, verse 14, so Peter has a perspective that his body is only temporary. It's only a temporary thing. Now that's a good point because some of us, we need to stay healthy in some of us, but some of us get so transfixed with the way that we look, we're spending an awful lot of time sprucing up a tent. I'm just being honest with you. Have you noticed, I mean, it's only, it's only been, I've noticed it, I've, you know, I've been here eight years, and I've noticed that in the last four years especially, I see more signs on the side of the road for plastic surgeons than I've ever had before. Eight years ago, I didn't see those around here. Have you, you know what I'm talking about? Have you noticed them now? And they got these perfect people on there. They're perfect because of plastic. But that body's going to get old. You understand what I'm saying? That body's going to get old. His perspective is that this is just a tent. He's got an eternal perspective of later on. But as long as he's here, he's going to continually remind you, continue to remind you. So, here's the other thing. Here's why. Because Peter knew that his time was short as the Lord predicted he knew he wasn't going to live forever. He knew. But in fact, if you want to, uh, there's a scripture passage in your book there, John 21, 18 through 19. That's where the Lord predicts how Peter is going to die. Peter knew he was going to die. In fact, Peter knew how he was going to die. Because the passage very clearly says that you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. He knew he was going to die by crucifixion. Think about that. So he knew that while he was here, he had to serve the Lord and, and continue to teach. So that was the duration. So then here's, here's, here's his attitude. He made every effort to make sure that when, that when he dies, that they would be reminded. So this is how important it is to Peter. Peter is saying, I want to reinforce over and over with you the truths of the Scripture. Here's what he says. He goes on and says, in fact, as long as I'm alive, 
I'm going to keep reminding you of the truths of the Scripture. Now here's what he says. And even when I'm dead, I'm going to make sure that the truths of the Scriptures are continually there to remind you of the truth. He said, how, how would he do that? Well, first of all, he would probably have trained men to continually remind them. The other thing is, is that you have three books in your Bible. Two that are written by him, one that he influenced. You say, what are they? First and second Peter. Talk about eternally reminding us, right? And then he influenced the writer Mark in his gospel. So we see that there. All right, let's go on then. Here, now, here's what he's going to say. Now, what truths do need to be reinforced over and over in our minds? Here's the truths that need to be... It's testimony concerning Jesus. So look with me, verse 16 through 18. For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, which such as... a when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now he's going to give testimony here about Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice something. First of all, I want you to notice of the testimony. He tells them that they are not following cunningly man-made myths. Cunning man-made myths. He's, they're not following following Cunning man-made myths. Let me just explain something to you. Some people today will say, well, man, this is all just a bunch of man-made junk you guys are following. Just the words of men. Peter is telling you it is not the words of men. This is not some cunningly craft thing that they would do. And let me explain to you why. I want you to think about these 12 apostles. Most people, if they were going to devise a system or a religion or whatever, who's going to benefit it if I'm going to, let's say I'm going to establish the Order of George tomorrow. What's that? Yes, I'm going to get lots of money. Because who's going to benefit from the Order of George? Now, you'll get a side benefit because you'll be hanging out with me. That's the attitude, isn't it? That's the attitude. But the ultimate benefactor of the Order of George is going to be George. You know, so when I'm driving around in my gold-plated Suburban you know, with gold tires and rims. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's ridiculous, but that's almost the attitude. See, here's the thing. That's what we normally think of when some people start something because the main benefactor is who? The person who started it. Now, here's the problem. When you look at these 12 apostles, why would they propagate Christianity? Why? Because they didn't benefit from it. In fact, if we were to look at it from totally human points, most of them died the martyr's death. Most of them gave their life for it. Even while they were alive, they suffered. That's right, Bruce. So here's what I'm saying. It's almost contradictory to everything else. Contradictory to any kind of... So this is not human, because a human is interested in who first? themselves. So he's saying we're not following these cunningly man-made cunning man-made myths. Let's go on now. He's going to talk about we they were presented with the power and coming 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about the truth. The truth is the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's the other point he's going to say. It's not just, we're presenting to you the power and the coming of Jesus Christ. And here's what he's going to say. And we are the eyewitnesses. Peter states that they were eyewitnesses of Christ's majesty. They were eyewitnesses of what he's trying to make a point here about. So then notice the testimony. Here's the testimony. And the testimony... Your, Bible, your, your study guide will, give, will refer to Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8, which is Jesus being transfigured on the mountain. And who was with him? Peter and John and James. You remember? Because Peter said, Lord, let us build tabernacles you know, for you and Moses and Elijah. So he saw the glorified Jesus Christ there. Here's what he's saying. Peter refers, in verse 17, to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Peter refers to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, so then here's what he says. Peter saw the majesty of who Christ is and heard the affirmation of God the Father. So I want you to notice something. Here he is, if you read that passage in Mark, and he refers to it here, he saw the glory of who Jesus was. And not just the glory of who Jesus was, he heard God the Father say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, if you, that would just blow you away, wouldn't it? To hear that. That would just blow you away. Now, let me just stop. Let me make a point here. Because this is a great point. Because a lot of times, you and I are called to share our faith, and we're called to, to share truth. What's the point here that Peter is making? He is sharing what he knows about Jesus from what? Is it head knowledge? Bruce said it, personal experience. My friends, your greatest testimony to your unsaved loved ones, to your unsaved friends, to the people who are on the street, people you work with, whatever, your greatest testimony is not spouting off doctrine. Your greatest testimony is you sharing your experience with Jesus. Now, you reinforce it with doctrine. You ever understand me? But your greatest experience, nobody can argue with you when you say to them, I know he's alive because of this. You understand? And then you bring in the scripture. You understand? This is what Peter is doing. I am reinforcing truth to you because I was there. I saw. I heard. You understand? Who can argue with that? You understand what I'm saying? Who can argue with that? So that, that's a point that you and I need to recognize concerning testimony. Now, let's go on. He's going to talk about God's Word now, the testimony of God's Word. Look with me at verse 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation. For prophecy can never, never came by will of man, but by holy men of God, but 
holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want you to see. First of all, the validity of the Word of God. Peter states that we have the prophetic Word that has been confirmed. Here's the thing I want you to understand. That Bible you are holding, you don't have to question whether or not it is accurate or not. Because that Bible has been confirmed. First of all, it's been confirmed by the life of Jesus Christ as he fulfilled the prophecies in the Old Testament. But it's also being confirmed today by archaeology. You say, what do you mean? A lot of times, especially especially 100 years ago, a lot of guys would debunk the Bible because there's no proof of that. There's no proof. There's no proof that there ever was a guy by the name of David. There's no proof of any of this. Well, guess what? They continually are making digs in Israel, in Palestine. And guess what they're finding? The Bible's right. That the kings that they talk about did exist. That stuff did happen. And so, the Bible is accurate. So, okay, so for instance, like some people, how many of you read the book of Daniel before? Raise your hand if you read the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is a great book, because the book of Daniel, I mean, was written while they were in Babylon, and he sees a prophecy of what's going to happen in the future, and so he predicts several kingdoms coming. He predicts that the Persians are going to overthrow the Babylonians, the Greeks are going to overthrow the Persians, and the Romans are going to overthrow the Greeks. Now, the scholars who don't want to believe that the Bible is accurate say, well, this must have been written sometime after Rome. Because in their mind, they can't believe that any guy several hundred years before could make an accurate prediction. But my friends, we know that he did. Because he didn't just predict what was going to happen in the future, he also predicted what was happening right then, there. And so we know it's accurate. This is the point that Peter is saying. The Bible is accurate and it proves itself. The Bible is accurate and it proves itself. Let's go on. We must be obedient to the Word as our light in the midst of darkness. Can you guys recognize we live in a dark world? You ever get, you ever get to the place where like, you don't know what to do next and you, you kind of wonder, okay, how am I going to handle this situation? What needs to happen here? God, what do you want me to do? Have you ever been there? I've been there all the time. Okay, Can I be honest with you? The Scripture is your light. In fact, what what, what did the psalm say? Thy word is a light unto my path. It It will illuminate the direction that you need to go in. But here's the problem. If I know it's my light, why don't we read it? Why don't we read it? Because we're looking for the easy fix. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because here's the thing. Some of you have this in your, you know, you go, to, you go to Lowe's or Walmart and you buy those solar-powered path lights. You know what I'm talking about? And you stick them in the ground. And, and you like them because it just adds to the, and have you noticed, but it only emits enough light to light what? The path. And they look great. But when it comes to your life, you don't want a light like that. You want a million candle floodlight that you go spotting with. Because you want to see everything. God didn't say he would show you everything. But he said he would give you the word to be a light to your path through darkness. Do you understand what I'm saying? He would give you a light to your path in the midst of darkness. See, this is our light. 
this is our light. And so we get frustrated because it doesn't tell me everything, but no, I'm supposed to rest in him who knows everything. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not to know everything. Aren't you glad you don't know everything? Too much knowledge is dangerous. Okay, let's go on. We must recognize that Scripture is not the result of personal interpretation. Here's the thing. Even when I'm sharing with you, you've got to filter what I'm sharing with you and say, okay, is this George's personal interpretation? Because there is a body of scholarship, there's a body of teaching that is 2,000 years. And let me just say this. Nothing new. Do you understand? Nothing's new. And it's not open for personal interpretation. The Scripture speaks for itself. The Scripture speaks for itself. All right, let's, let's go on. It's not for personal interpretation, nor is it about the will of man. We must recognize that Scripture is not the result of man's will. This is not the result of man's will. Let me explain to you something. How many of you like airing out dirty laundry? Everybody here has... You say, what are you, what are you talking about, George? Everybody here has something in the closet. Do you understand me? you got some kind of skeleton hanging in the closet. Now, how many of you like to open up the closet and put a sign on the front yard and come look in my closet? How many of you want to do that? Uh, you wouldn't do that. Let me explain something to you about the Bible. The Bible is very candid about the great men of faith. You say, what do you mean? Go all the way to the beginning. Abraham, his wife put up with a lot. Think about it. I mean, think about it. Go into a new place, act like you're my sister. Whoa, what's that babe who you're... She's my sister. Well, I'll take her for myself. I mean, come on. Do you, do you know what I mean? Jacob, what a conniving little guy. Moses had his issues. They're right there in the Bible. David. Whoa. But he was called a man after God's own heart. But didn't he not have issues? Do you understand? Here's the thing. Let me be honest with you. Think about this. Even the Gospel of Mark, which was influenced by Peter, is pretty, pretty frank about the fact that Peter did not have his act together. So if I'm writing, if I'm going to influence a gospel that has me, I'm going to make me look good, right? I'm going to make, I'm going to make everybody else look bad, especially that Judas guy. But I'm going to look good. Because that's what? The will of man. See, this is not produced by the will of man, okay? Let's go on. Finally, scriptures were written by men of God who were moved by the Holy Spirit. Even though this was written by men, my friends, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to write it. So look, it's important. You've got to make the Word of God a part of your life. All right, let's close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.